And open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to have to buy a new tool. I know that shocks you. I uh, I needed to put new brake rotors on my car this week because uh, my brake rotors were so warped, it felt like I was driving a vibrator chair every time I stopped. So I thought, hey, no problem. I've got an air hammer, you know, which looks kind of like that. And I've got an air system in my garage, and I pumped it up and hooked it up and and put it on the car, on the wheels, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I am stronger than the air hammer. I had to get a wrench out and loosen up the nuts. The air hammer couldn't do it. I, I, I'm afraid, though, if I bought one of those, it would turn my arm right off my body. <laughs> That's the one they advertise when you put it on, the car flips over, you know, the, the thing's saying... <laughs> There's nothing more frustrating than depending on a tool only to have it let you down when you go to use it. God has put the tool of prayer into our hands. And unlike my tools, it works perfectly every time if it's used properly. We want to look today at the scripture and understand what is required of us to get answered prayer, how, what does God put in place? What is this tool of prayer and how should we be using it? Please follow as I read from Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets." The first thing that we understand here from this passage is uh, the point that's on the screen. Answered prayer requires a right relationship with God. As we, you know, we, we look at verse 7 and it, and it seems like a completely blank check. Just ask and it will be given. But verse 11 begins to qualify it when it talks about your heavenly Father. And so the first question we have to ask about our prayer life is, do we have a right relationship with God? The offer of prayer is completely dependent on our relationship with God. The offer to ask and receive is made to those who are God's children. The Apostle John tells us how we can become God's child in these verses from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received him, and in the context, the him, of course, is Christ. He's talking about Christ. And so the question you have to ask today about your relationship to God is, 
Have you ever believed in Christ as your Savior? Or you could even ask it this way. Is your faith in Christ as the Savior of your sins? I was a very young child when I put my faith in Christ, and and yet God was gracious to, to give me the memory of that and the awareness of that and the confidence of that. But some people grow up in an environment where perhaps they are not pointedly told to believe in Christ. And yet over time, as they hear the scripture, they come to understand, yes, uh, I believe that. And they agree with that. And that's, that's wonderful. It's also possible to go to church all of your life and to hear a lot of truth, but to never come to the point at which you understand I personally have to put my faith in Christ Jesus in order for his work on the cross to become effective for me. Christ did die for the sins of the world. They are paid for. But that doesn't come to our account until we believe. And so the question to ask about prayer today as you begin is, have you believed in Christ as your Savior? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself? You see here, John says, we, we, we not only have to, to believe in Christ, but we have to understand this is not something we do. I don't work it up in myself. I don't do it. It's, I come and say, I believe in you. You have done the work. Right relationship with God begins with faith in Christ. Many times over the years, people have said to me, especially as I've worked in the, in the emergency services as a chaplain, they'll, they'll ask me to pray, and they'll say, you know, because you've got a connection to, they almost don't even want to say the word God, but you, you've got a connection to the, to the guy upstairs. And that's right. I have a connection to the guy upstairs. He is my father. <laughs> I am his son. But the wonderful truth is, God has invited everybody into his family. You don't, you don't have to think, I'm the only one who can pray. You can pray. You can have that right relationship with God. You can come into his presence with the confidence of a son. But right relationship requires an ongoing maintenance as well. Once we believe in Christ, we're saved, we're born again, we're on our way to heaven, we're his children... But our relationship with him has to be maintained. It's, it's similar to a husband and wife relationship. There's a lot of uh, things that go on to bring two people together. But once they're married, once they've signed the paper, they've said the I do's and the honeymoon is over, the work of maintaining the relationship is ongoing. Unless... In your experience, you've never had a problem in that relationship. Is there anybody here who's never had a foible or a difficulty in their marriage? Would you please come and finish the sermon for me? Because <laughs> I'd like to see how you do it. <laughs> and so there's times when you have to go to your wife and say, I'm sorry. And there's times when you have to go to your husband and say, I let you down. And, and, and there's a mending of the relationship. You don't stop being married because of the difficulty, but you do stop being close for a period of time. And, and Lord willing, you get in the habit as you grow of not letting those periods of time be very long at all. And so you maintain your closeness by working through the issues of relationship, saying you're sorry, giving forgiveness, and that sort of thing, which is very similar to what God tells us. 
He says, in terms of prayer, we, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is not talking about earning salvation to begin with. This is talking about those who are born again, who have already believed. And once we have believed, as we walk through our days and we ask and we seek and we knock on heaven's door, God says, I am not going to answer your prayer unless you are walking righteously. Nobody walks perfect in their righteousness, but whenever we sin, we confess We get right with God. David put it this way in terms of sin. If I regard or hang on to iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What is the message that we send to God when we are living in sin? We're hanging on to sin, but still asking for his help. The message that we're sending is something like this. I want you to do what I want on my terms. I'm in charge. Now, does that sound like you're talking to God, the God of the universe? Or does that sound like you're talking to your own private genie in a bottle? And the God of the universe says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not share with another. And he's certainly not going to share it with you or with me. And so when we come to God in prayer, the first thing we need to do is is what we're told to do also at the Lord's Supper. Let a man examine himself, then let him worship God by eating and drinking. We need to do the same thing when we come in prayer. We need to stop and examine ourselves. Am I walking with God? Lord willing, we've gotten into a habit that every time we sin, we confess at that moment. We don't say, well, I sinned, but you know, I'll take care of that tomorrow when I have my time with the Lord. I can guarantee you, if you take that attitude, your time in the Lord tomorrow won't come. Because you'll get up in the morning and you won't want to go and look God straight in the eye because you know you left something hanging from the day before. And so you need to be in the habit of just confessing that sin every time it happens, every time it happens, every time it happens. But even so, if you sit down in the morning and you've got your prayer list and you're going to give your, the day to the Lord, you need to stop and say, God, is there anything that's not right with you today? Have I missed something? Have I forgotten something? Have I purposefully rebelled and tried to overlook something that you want me to deal with? And you wait And the Holy Spirit goes, hey, see that right there? You remember that? You remember what you said right there? And in that moment, you say, God, that is wrong. That's a sin. I did it. That's what confession means. And you're right with God. And now you're ready to ask God. Now you're ready to talk to God. Now you're ready to do what Hebrews 10 says. Therefore, we have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He's using an illustration from the Old Testament in referring to our prayer life now in heaven. And in the Old Testament, they had the, ta- the tabernacle and then the temple. And people could come in partway to offer a sacrifice. And then, they, and then the priest could go in partway to do some of the work of worship. And only once a year, the high priest could come into the holiest or the holy of holies. Only one man, once a year, could come into what, what represented the presence of God. And he says, now, brethren, because of the blood of Jesus, his death for us on the cross... I can come straight into the very presence of God. 
And I can come in there boldly. I don't come in telling God what to do, but I can come in confident that he is my father and he's going to hear my prayer. By a new and living way which Jesus consecrated through the veil that is through his flesh. Anytime we come into the presence of God, we need to be right with him. And we need to evaluate, we need to be ready. Years ago when we lived in Tuck Willis, Sue worked for the school district and it was announced that on a certain day, the governor of Washington, Booth Governor, that Booth Gardner at that time, was going to come to visit the school. They'd done something exceptional. And so he was going to come and, and bestow his presence on them. And so one of her co-workers went out and bought a new dress because she didn't want to be in the presence of the governor in some old rag. The governor ended up not coming. <laughs> she still had a new dress. Do you want your prayers to be answered? Then come into God's presence dressed appropriately in white righteousness. God talks about white robes as, a, as an example or, a, or a sort of a symbol of righteousness. We get to dress in the righteousness of Christ. And so we come into God's presence not in our own merit, We come into his presence having believed in Christ and our sins forgiven, having obeyed Christ and confessed our sin. And so now we come into God's presence clean and white, ready to talk to our Father. Do you want your prayers answered? Check your relationship with God first and foremost. Number two, do you want your prayers answered? Have a right confidence in God. Look at verses 8 through 10. Everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, find, and to him who knocks, it will be open. And, and he uses an example of why our prayers are going to be answered. And he says, Or what man among there is you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Now, I, I, in studying this week, I, I learned something I hadn't learned before. In, obviously, when, when we think of a stone, we think, well, anybody could see the stone is not bread. But they pointed out that there is kind of a a roundish, big, flattish stone that's common in the Middle East. And so a person could set that somewhere, and at first glance, it might look like bread. And so there might be a fooling of a person into thinking they're getting a piece of bread or a a little loaf of bread. And then he says, if if he asks for a fish, would would a a human father give him a, a serpent or a snake? Now... This, there's a double whammy here. First of all, back then, nobody discovered that it tastes like chicken. But the real whammy is that snakes were unclean. According to the Old Testament law, you, you're not permitted to eat them. And so, you, you know, a good father would never prepare some food with snake in it and give it to his son because that would be a spiritual wickedness as well as a human wickedness. And so he's just saying, and then verse 11, he gives the moral to the story. If you then, being evil, in other words, you're, you're not perfect, you're you know, good and bad and otherwise, if you know how to give a good gift to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to him who asks? In other words, do you go to God in prayer thinking, he is my loving Father who wants to do the best for me? 
Do you have that kind of confidence in God? Or do you go praying, I don't know who he is or what he is or what's he about, but I'm just going to toss this thing up there anyway. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That means that God always does what is best for us. The question is, do you believe that God always answers in the best way, and so you come into his presence with that kind of confidence? James talks about our, our confidence or our faith when he says this, he's talking about trials and asking for wisdom. And he says, ask for wisdom if you need it, but ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. This is not about you having enough faith to somehow magically make things happen. The faith that God talks about in us is never is like we have to have a big enough faith to hang on to God. No, the faith that God always talks about is do we see God as big as he is and as good as he is? When you pray, do you believe that God can answer and that he will in the best way possible because he's your loving father? On the way home uh, this week, I, I went to a meeting uh, across uh, across the hill there and and uh, came home by Wenatchee because my grandkids live there, so why wouldn't I? And uh, made an appointment with them and uh, went and met them at a, uh, a sporting goods store. I'd gotten a present from there and I needed to uh, make some exchange on that and get that squared away. And so I had planned before I went, I said, when I go in there, I'm going to tell them I'm going to buy them a present. They can go pick something out from the toy aisle. And uh, so when they got there, I said, uh, hey, I I said to Harrison, he's about six years old, I guess, and is he six or five? Six. And I said, hey, I'm going to buy you a surprise. And he says, what is it? (laughs) Well, I don't know, and you don't either, buddy. (laughs) I said, well, you get to go pick it out. You go pick out a toy for about $5, you know. They've got lots of toys. They don't need me to buy an expensive toy. I just wanted to say, hey, I'm your grandfather and I love you. So, and, uh, so him and Adelaide went off and I did my business. And, and they, eventually we came back and uh, he got uh, an Angry Birds thing and she got a whatever it is thing that matched her coat. And, <laughs> and we all lived happily ever after. And they got to ride in Papa's car from, uh, from the uh, toy store over to the McDonald's and Whatnot. Here's the deal, folks. I told them, pick something out and essentially come and ask me to pay for it. They didn't come in asking for anything. I said, I'm going to give you something. And, and you know, we had to work a little bit because Adelaide came back with a, a makeup set for 15 bucks. And I thought, <laughs> first of all, I'm not spending 15 bucks. And second of all, you do not need that makeup. <laughs> God is like that as well. He says, listen, you have a need, come and ask me, and I will meet your needs. God doesn't answer my prayer because I deserve it. He answers my prayer because he said, I want to show you how great I am. I want you to see my love. I will give this to you, but you have to ask. 
Look at Matthew 6, verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not also clothe you? O you of little faith! There is a faith issue. The faith issue is, do I believe that God is good enough and big enough to answer my prayer? Or do I somehow think that my needs have risen beyond the level of creating the universe in terms of power? See, we don't say it that way, but sometimes we think it that way. It's like, what good is it going to do to pray? Stood by the bed of my good friend Tom Ruhlman in the hospital yesterday. He's got a terrible leg infection. They're giving him antibiotics I've never heard of. And he's in bad pain whenever he puts his leg over the side of the bed. Before I left, I prayed for him. Can God heal him? Yes. Would I like God to heal him? Yes. Would that be good for him? It it seems like it. But I'll tell you, beyond anything, what I know is I know God can do it because I've seen him raise people up. I've seen him raise me up. I don't think the doctor or the medicine heals me by itself. God loves us. He is our Father. He's not the genie in the bottle that we can command, but he's also not the grumpy old man who doesn't want to help us out. He is our loving Heavenly Father, but he has told us to ask. God has promised to provide. Do you believe that? If we believe he will provide, and if we have heard him and we tell him our needs, then the heart of faith becomes the mouth of prayer. One commentator made a powerful observation talking about Jesus. He said, It was a constant source of amazement to Jesus that men drank so sparingly from so great a reservoir. (laughs) He said, What's wrong with you people? Why don't you take this? We have to have a right confidence in God. Number three, We've got to have a right presentation to God. Look at verses 7 through 8, Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and him who seeks finds, and him who knocks it will be opened. Did God need to write both of those verses? Couldn't he have just said, you ought to pray? Why does God go on and on and on at times? He does it because he wants to say, I hope you get this. (laughs) God wants us to ask for help. This is the first and most obvious observation we ought to make. And we ought to be looking at our lives today since we're looking at this scripture and saying, am I praying about the stuff of my life? One of the reasons you ought to have a prayer list that you open every morning is so that you can systematically pray about everything in your life. As you face the day, you ought to be looking forward and saying, God, I know there will be this, and I know there will be that, and I know there will be the other, and and, and I need help here, and I need wisdom here, I need strength here, I need courage, you know, whatever it is. All of these commands are in the present tense, and God wants us to keep on bringing our, our our, our, our concerns to Him. 
Listen to these other encouragements to pray on and on and on. Pray without ceasing. In everything, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And by the way, the next verse gives the promise, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Do you know there's an easy way to know if you've prayed enough? And the easy way to know if you've prayed enough is, are you at peace? If you're not at peace, you have not prayed about everything. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always. It doesn't mean that we don't talk. It doesn't mean that we don't do work or that we don't think. But you know what? God created us with a two-part brain. You know, you got two halves, right? Most of you. Okay? Go home, check it on the internet, Google it. Okay? Do you know that's why we can, we, we can kind of do things and think about it at the same time? I'm aware that I'm standing here, I'm gesturing, I'm talking, whatever... Part, you know, and for that matter, there's part of my brain that's keeping me breathing and all that stuff. You can pray while you drive. You can pray. You can pray while you talk to people. Oh, God, I don't know what to say. Oh, God, I want to help this person. Can you give me the words? You see, God has made us able to pray while we do other things so that we can have an ongoing conversation with him, praying always. Colossians 4, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, being vigilant in prayer, somehow having an attitude that says, God, I want to notice everything I should pray about. 1 Timothy 2, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. This is a verse that talks about the church, and it says it's important for us to pray And then it goes on to say that the reason for this is because God wants people to be saved. God wants us to bring our needs to him. I thought it would be interesting to make a little survey of the kinds of things people prayed about in the New Testament. And here it is. First of all, they prayed about protection from spiritual enemies. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul talks about that, that armor of the Christian to protect us against things that we can't even see in terms of what Satan does. And he says, after you put all that armor on, pray. Pray for protection. Um, in, in verse 19, the Apostle Paul said, Will you pray for me that I could be bold when I speak the truth of God? Spiritual boldness in ministry. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul, uh, Paul said, prayed for Timothy. Timothy apparently was timid. And Paul says, I'm praying that you'll just be strong. Spiritual understanding, Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your mind will be opened as you can understand. Physical deliverance from persecution. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippians, I'm confident I'll be delivered from this difficulty I'm in by your prayers. Deliverance from prison, Acts 12. And, and of course, this was a prayer meeting going on. Uh, the, the local church was gathered praying for Peter to be delivered, and pretty soon the chains fell off and Peter was delivered. Physical suffering and sickness, James chapter 5. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any, you know, call for the elders and have them pray for you. Knowledge of God's will. 
How do you know what to do? This was uh, in Acts chapter 1. They were praying about who should take Judas's place. They had a process which was really the, the, the sort of the origin of our voting on things. But they said, we're not going to trust the process. We're going to say, God, we're praying to you. Would you please guide the process? And then lastly, they prayed to dedicate God's people to service. When the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were going to go out on the first missionary journey, they had a prayer meeting and prayed for those people. The, the question I want to ask here is, are you praying exhaustively about your life and ministry? Are you asking for all of the things? There's another truth that is uh, implicit here. God wants us to keep on asking. Listen to Luke's account of this teaching. And he said to them, which of you having a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. Uh, Unlike us, they didn't have bread in the freezer. They had to make it every day. And if they happened to have eaten it all up, then there was no 7-Eleven to go to. So he says, could you loan me some bread? Somebody's come on a journey and I have nothing to feed him. And he will answer from within and say, Don't trouble me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Now that puts a, another, another layer of truth on this command. Uh, Kent Hughes summarized it really well when he said, we are to passionately persist in prayer. Now sometimes we've prayed a prayer and, and the Holy Spirit just prompts us to say, you know what, that's a wrong prayer. I need to change that. How should I be praying? I've been praying for a Mercedes Benz and maybe I should just be saying, God, you know, I, wait, I need a way, way to get to work. You know, sometimes we have wrong prayers. And frankly, sometimes we're praying for a good thing, but God's timing is off. So we should open, we should pray with open hands and say, God, here is my need. Would you please meet it? But no matter what level we're praying at, what kinds of things we're praying for, we need to persist in prayer. That's why Colossians 4 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with it, in it with thanksgiving. That's one of the reasons that I use a prayer list. Uh, people will come to me and say, would you pray for this? So I put it on the list. If I don't put it on the list, I don't remember it, frankly. And so if I tell them I prayed for it, I've just lied. I don't think you'd ever do that, I'm sure. But I want to remember to pray, and I want to persist and so we need to ask, we need to present, and we need to do it passionately. A- answered prayer also requires one more thing, and that is a right desire before God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 almost looks like it doesn't belong with the, with the, with the instruction before it or the instruction after it. It says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And, and you want to say, uh, Jesus... This seems to be out of place. But it's not out of place. And it's especially important to notice the first word, therefore. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, so you remember it. When you see the word therefore, you need to 
Look and see what it's there for. Because it's always a summary word. He's been talking, 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 therefore. It's the moral to the story. It's the big application. Or it brings this piece of the teaching back to the whole, which is the case here. This passage started in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And we talked all about that last week. Verse 12 says, Therefore... Whatever you want men to do, you should do also to them. What in the world is he talking about? Well, this verse is, is, is what we have come to call in our society the golden rule. Whatever you want men to do to you, you should do to them. And what he has just done now is apply this to the passage on judging along with the truth of prayer. Jesus says we don't need to be critical and judgmental. We analyze and we're careful based on the Scripture, and we confront people based on the Scripture, but we don't have to go beyond that and become judgmental and critical. Instead, the alternative of being judgmental is praying. The golden rule teaches us to do for others as we would have them do for us. Would you like others to judge you for your weaknesses or pray for you? That's what he's saying. How do you want to be treated? And so I would ask you some questions today. Are you talking to God? Are you talking to God about difficult people or just talking to others who agree with you about those difficult people? Are you talking to God about your own rough spots? Or are you just talking to others who will empathize with you about your rough spots? Are you praying for a right vision so you can see to help others with their vision? You know, if, if we kind of pull these two passages together, we've come along in our Christian walk and we see somebody with a sliver in their eye, which clearly he's talking about a, there's a, a spiritual weakness in their life. And he says, but you, you, you've got a big stick in your eye. You've got a plank in your eye. And so he says, get that plank out. And now he says, pray for those people. Pray for them. Say, oh God, would you help them with that? If this is a real problem that they need to deal with, will you prompt them to do that? Would you, would you make such a situation and prepare my heart so that if I have a chance to speak to this brother or sister, your will will be done? God doesn't commend the person who says, well, I see problems and difficulties, but oh, I'm not, uh, you know, not going to do anything. That's not loving. It's not loving to be harsh and judgmental. It's not loving to walk away. The most loving thing you can start with is prayer. Let's take our burdens to God and sincerely, passionately, Ask him to work among us. When I was a youth pastor, we planned a, a nine-day trip to California that was going to involve some ministry and some fun. And, and uh, it was going to cost a fair amount of money. And some of the kids couldn't afford the whole cost. So I set about raising some money to give scholarships, if you will. 
And one of the men in the church said, uh, I want you to come to lunch. He owned a restaurant. He said, I want you to come to lunch and we'll talk about this trip. And, and his kids, uh, one of his kids was going and, and uh, talk about the fundraising and whatnot. So, you know, I was probably 24 years old maybe at the time. And uh, I go out and we have lunch. And, and he said, you know, I told him all about the trip. And he says, well, will you just tell me how much you need? I thought about that for a minute. <laughs> I thought, are you giving me a blank check? I didn't say those words. But I had to ask him some more questions. Uh, do you mean that when I find the total amount that I need, I can come to you and you will write me a check for that? Yep, that's what I mean. Now, just as a side note, do you know how he wrote that check? He went to the bank and said, I need to borrow some money. And I didn't learn that till years later. That's a guy living by faith. You know what? In Matthew 7, God said, I'm your father. If you have a need, come and ask. Would you leave a blank check laying on the table? I, I don't want to leave that blank check laying on the table. I want to pick it up and say, oh God, Here's my needs. Here's the needs of my friends, my family, people, my church. Would you please work? I want to see God provide. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You not only have saved us by accepting the sacrifice of Christ for our sins, but you're active in our life and you want to help us and you want to guide us and you want to make our lives truly as good as they can be in the righteousness of Christ. Help us to be praying people. Help us to take our concerns to you. Help us as a church to lift up our concerns to you. Help us to be praying about people that need to become disciples. Help us to realize it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit that things will happen in us and around us and through us together. Help us to be praying people. I pray in Christ's name, amen.